everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. <laughs> yeah. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. For the purposes of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. Every spelling is correct. And here's how this works. You email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And you can ask us about anything. You can talk about something we discuss in our podcasts, ask us questions about uh, film history or how things work in the industry or uh, what our favorite food additives are. I don't know, whatever you want, really. Uh, and uh, we answer as many letters as we can every single week. We missed last week. Sorry about that. We're going to try to play a bit of catch up right now. And uh, we're just going to dive right in. Whitney. Um, yes. Tell us about our first email. Uh, our first email comes from Adrian. Hello, Adrian. Hi. Um, it says, hey, Mr. Bibbs and Mr. McEwell, uh, greetings from Toulouse, France. Ooh, fancy. Bonjour. Uh, this is my first time writing. I'm going to say I'm going to keep it short, but I feel like there are some things you didn't mention about the movie Celia Scarlet. Oh. Uh, since I'm a huge Catherine Hepburn fan, I need to add a few things. Uh, real fast, just for people who might uh, not catch up, our most recent episode of The Streaming Club, we uh, a show where we have a Patreon poll every week and you decide what older movie we're going to watch out of various streaming services. Uh, we talked about the early Catherine Hepburn film Sylvia Scarlet, co-starring Cary Grant. Uh, and it's a film that deals with a lot of uh, issues of gender identity uh, in a way that might have been ahead of its time. They might not have had the terminology or the, mm -hmm. the dialogue necessary to explore it uh, the way yeah. we would now. And it led to an interesting conversation. And we, we basically begged... Our listeners who had seen the film uh, to give us their perspective uh, because we're sure that there are things that we missed or that there are different angles on, on yeah, the film. Yeah. So we'd love to. I'm looking um, forward to this email. Yeah. Uh, so it, uh, Adrian says uh, the most important thing is how the movie parallels Catherine Hepburn's life in some ways. You talked about her character clearly being gender fluid, uh, just that we didn't know how, what to call it back in 1935. The same could be said for Catherine Hepburn. We all know about her wearing pants and breaking codes at the, t uh, all, at the time, but more than that, when she was a child, she used to dress as a boy and wanted everybody to call her Jimmy. Uh, this isn't some weird rumor, by the way. She even says it in her autobiography, which is very fun read, but I digress. Also, George Cukor, being an openly gay man, as openly gay as the studio system would allow at the time anyway, directing the picture, and Hepburn herself, who also allegedly uh, equally enjoyed the company of both women and men, according to some of her closest friends. But uh, as for many things at the time, we will never know the truth. Anyway, with those two voices working together with that subject, the queer undertones of some of the characters is definitely not accidental. Oh, sure. Um, I feel like you didn't mention those two points unless I dozed off for a bit. <laughs> uh, so I thought uh, you would like this. Uh, thank you for the podcast and keeping me entertained during my daily walks and for the movie recommendations like The Watermelon Woman. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. Cheryl yeah. Dunier is wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, best regards, Adrian. Uh, P.S. You should also read about Kate's mother, who is even more interesting than her daughter, Ooh. and that is saying something and shows why Kate has never been afraid uh, to be daring during her long career. That's exciting. Mm. Um, and that's a meta, that's a kind of a meta level, a mm. narrative where the audience isn't necessarily going to always know the backstory of the people making the movie. Mm. Uh, and sometimes we know more than others when we discuss these films. Um, I, I knew a bit about Catherine Hepburn's mm. uh, uh, life, but not enough that I could speak with it with a lot of confidence. So we just sort of alluded to it and moved on. And same thing with George Cukor. We did mention that uh, mm. he, he was gay and, it was an open secret, as they would say, uh, where it's not so much public knowledge, but everyone around knew. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I, watching Sylvia Scarlet, yeah, this isn't an accident that they're talking about uh, queer issues. 
Uh, but there's also a lot that they're not allowed to talk about, even if they knew the right way to talk about it. So it's this very weird, uh, fascinating movie. It's, if you, please listen to the episode we did about it. I think it's an interesting film and deserves to be seen. But um, yeah, it's kind of complex and you kind of have to like decipher it a little bit because of all like the hoops they had to jump through with the production code and mm. uh, social mores and uh, mm. a lot of coding more, involved. More, more Mores, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's fine. It I was going to go with some sort of eel joke, but I decided not to. <laughs> also, I couldn't do it. The, there, there's a, a far side strip that it's a, a bunch of eels at a party drinking and talking. It captures just social mores. Um, yeah, it's really cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually did know about um, about Catherine Hepburn's sexuality, and I, I don't I don't think I brought it up. Uh, we, we did bring up George Q. Corr's mm. sexuality, though. Um, yeah. Yes, and yeah, they would be uh, dealing with queerness. But I would like, uh, um, if anybody knows about sort of queer terminology, especially trans terminology in the 1930s, I'd love yeah. to hear a little bit of that as well. Because, uh, yeah, like you said, this this feels like a film that didn't know the vocabulary of how to deal with gender issues, gender identity issues yet. And, and even if it had vocabulary at the time, it probably wasn't allowed to say it outright. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it, it feels like there weren't, they weren't, coding something that they knew how to say it feels like they're trying to figure out a way to say that and i like it for it it's a little bit yeah. sloppy uh in that regard but yeah um but yeah thank you for bringing that up about katherine hepburn and, yeah. and her life and her her sexuality and, and gender identity um uh, yeah because that does really color it and she probably mm. uh brought a lot of that to it oh i can only mm. imagine mm. yeah all right well, thank you for that letter that's yeah. awesome uh, here is a letter from uh, Lori F. Hello, Lori F. Hi. Um, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. I thought I'd take some time tonight and send emails to my favorite podcast. Oh, um, oh and us. That was that was pleasure. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and I'm glad you included us as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, seriously, thank you. That means a lot to us. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how I came to find critically acclaimed. It might have been suggested after I started listening to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. That was suggested by Cabot Cove Confidential, a murder she wrote podcast. Oh I started. I started. It's an awesome podcast. Anyway, I've listened to that. That sounds like an amazing podcast. Uh, I started listening to you guys in late 2020. What got me hooked was your discussion uh, discussion of the latest edition of Little Women. Uh, the way you talked about it shouldn't have shocked me, but it did. Uh, you didn't treat it like a chick flick. But rather, you had so much reverence for it that I immediately watched it. It's a C-plus for me. Uh, also, also speaking of your rating system, at first I thought you meant C-plus, S-E-E-plus. Oh! S-E-E-minus, <laughs> as in you should or should not see it. It works either way, and I chuckle at myself. Oh God, it kind of does. Uh, I, never, I literally never thought of that before. No, me neither. <laughs> I've only ever thought of the letter grade. That's really funny. Uh, anyway, I've come to appreciate your intellectual and worldly approach to discussion of film. I'm from Alberta, which is the Texas of Canada. <laughs> And a genuine intellectual sensitivity is a rare commodity up here. Uh, I'm a $1 Patreon, and I'm loving Holy Batman, and I'm a lifelong fan of The Batman. Uh, I teach pottery classes, and I've switched to oh. teaching over Zoom through the pandemic. I've gained some insight into the talking into the ether aspect of what you do, so I thought I'd talk back. Oh, well, thank you. Thank yeah, this, you. this is actually the reason we like to have these letter shows. We want to put your voices. It's my voice, but you know, yeah. put your voices out there. The films you recommended recommended to me that have hit hard for me in no particular mm. order: Blowout, ah, The good. Conversation, mm. and Star Trek the Austra Starstruck the Australian Musical. Um, uh, n and number one, Doctor X. Holy shit! I love this movie. 
from your discussion of Code Era films, I have extra bits to throw at my trivia team. Uh, this week, uh, Whitney mentioned The Critic, and I had forgotten about that. I'm rewatching it as I type. There's an entire episode where Phil Hartman voices many characters. He died way too young and tragically. What are your top picks for Die Too Young? And you would have loved to see more from them. Uh, the Critic is so funny and so smart and so tragic that there's... Uh, <laughs> It's so tragic that there's so much fat shaming in it. Not cool well, in the 90s. Yeah that's, yeah, that's a big running gag, is that yeah. Jay Sherman's a heavy guy. They were kind of following the lead of The Simpsons on that. I love yeah. the Homer Simpson jokes. Uh, I, I don't like that fat shaming was such a common theme, and I'm embarrassed at how much I laugh at it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I was laughing at myself. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I was never svelte, and I'm... I've been working out, but I still see myself as a fat guy. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I was kind of laughing at myself with a lot of those fat jokes from a lot of the shows I saw in the 90s. You know, mm. listen, it's possible to tell a good joke. It's possible, anyway, mm. to tell a good joke about almost anything. Uh, and sometimes there's just a good joke about mm. what it's like to be fat. Yeah. There are things mm. that you deal with when you're fat that you don't necessarily deal with when you're skinny. I, mm. I have, there have been times in my life when I have lost a lot of weight. Mm. Uh, and there are Things just people treated me differently, or you know, there are mm. issues that didn't arise or did arise. Um, and sometimes there's a good joke to be had there, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the whole he's fat, ha 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 ha, look at how fat he is, mm. fatty, fat, fat, fat. Um, it's a low blow, it, it's a it's a it's low punching blow, it's, down it's, and it's shitty. It's it's an easy joke, but you know, when uh, when Rush Limbaugh crashes in from the floor above and he crashes through the floor himself, and then you hear them through the hole saying, Hey, I'll race you to the lobby, that makes me giggle. Well, that's yeah. at least absurdist. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and that's again, it's possible to tell a funny joke, and of course, mm. it's all a matter of taste. But uh, yeah, there's some low blow mm. shots in there. It sucks. Uh, anyway, uh, Lori continues. Episode yeah. zero is a genius project. Oh well, thank, thank you. you. It's actually William's idea. I'm going to give you credit for that. Um, for that yeah. I've I've listened to the entire Rocky Horror series and, and uh, haven't yet gone back to catch on Star Wars. I know that I've said all that all of that. I'll summarize and say that the pandemic has been hard, and passing the time watching movies and listening to your shows has made it more bearable. Thank you. Uh, keep that sweet content rolling, uh, Lori <laughs> F. Um, well, thank you for my, very much for the the letter. And uh, as for. Uh, well, actors who died too soon like in the height of their career and you wanted to see yeah. more of them i mean everyone really i mean like yeah. I, just as a blanket statement i i wish no one died ever that'd yeah. be great I, for me but richard donner just passed away he was 91 and he was preparing lethal weapon 5 yeah uh did i want to see lethal weapon 5 not necessarily but you know he wanted to keep working and that's that's yeah. important um yeah jesus i'm just trying to remember um oh. i think of all the young actors who were taken from us often oh. through to uh, things like drug use or something like that. Mm. People like River Phoenix, who was enormously talented. Yeah, or, uh, or Heath Ledger, for that matter. Oh, my God, yeah. that poor guy. Yeah. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman mm. wasn't wasn't particularly young, but he still had a long career ahead of him. And yeah, he was one of the greatest actors that we had at the time. And um, Robin Williams, also not young, but mm. God, I miss him so much. <laughs> he was such a reassuring yeah. presence. Even his bad movies, he was still so sweet and funny in them. Um, Jesus, I'm trying to think now because... Um, you know, plenty, plenty of comedians. Uh, one, one that uh, it didn't hit me hard, but it hurts whenever I think about it is Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, I was just thinking about Mitch. Yeah, Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg yeah. is was a stand-up comedian that uh, who died of a drug overdose, and um, he uh, he he did something that a, not a lot of comedians do. He just sort of he didn't really tell jokes, but he had like one-liners. Yeah, his his entire act was cons- like was, was made up of just little one liners. He didn't have yeah. a long, elaborate bits or observational yeah. humor. If if a, if a if a Mitch Hedberg joke lasted more than three sentences, it was weird. Yeah, it's like yeah. Kit Kats have Kit Kat printed in the chocolate that robs you of chocolate. That's the, that's the whole bit. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, this, yeah. This, this shirt is dry clean only. This shirt is dry clean only, which means it's dirty. One of my, fa- yeah. one of my favorite jokes. Because <laughs> we all know that that's basically true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not yeah. always on top yeah. of that shit now, are we? If, uh, if you want to talk to me after the show, I'll be surprised. <laughs> that's Mitch Hedberg for you. And, brilliant, uh, brilliant comedian. Brilliant comedian. Brilliant, brilliant comedian. He actually made a movie. He wrote a movie oh, yeah. that somebody else. Yeah. It, was, it was called Los, Los Enchiladas, but it was never released. I got to see it at this uh, like sort of private event. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I got to see it, and that's me yeah. bragging a little bit. Uh, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, he, he had be- great work in him. Mm. He could have kept on going and yeah. like was not slipping at all. He was really on his game, and uh, yeah. yeah, drugs just sort of took him too early. Uh, another one that I think is is pretty well known, although I, I hear him talked about less and less. So I want to make sure people remember how great Andy Kaufman was. Mm. Andy Kaufman was such a high concept comedian that he went past high concept and into how the fuck did you come up with that? <laughs> like his his many of his routines are just so mind bogglingly conceived. Uh, and he seemed to make him effortless. He was absolutely a genius. Um, but I'll tell you someone who is a, is a person whose career I didn't know about until mm. we did cancel too soon. Uh, and then we saw mm. a sh- cancel too soon is a show where we review TV shows that lasted one season or less. Uh, and we did a series just really randomly. I happened to pick up a DVD and like a used bin of the complete series of Voyagers. Mm-hmm. Oh, Voyagers was this wonderful, like American version of Doctor Who, basically about this time traveling adventurer who was kind of like the hunky jock older brother of a little kid who gets dragged along on the adventures. And the little kid knows all about history and the time traveling adventurer actually doesn't. And it was a really good dynamic. And they formed this really great younger, Mm. older brother kind of bond. Um, and uh, the guy who played the adventurer, Phineas Bogg, mm. uh, John Eric Hexum was great. Was name, John yeah. Eric Hexum, and John Eric Hexum, oh my God, was he charming! Just an absolutely wonderful, almost effortless screen presence that just you made you want. It. I, I, he was clearly destined for big things. He was mm. going to be in movies. He would have played superheroes. Yeah. He would have been. A major star. Voyagers mm-hmm. did okay, but they didn't get picked up. He was doing another show, and there was a tragic onset accident, and he died. Mm-hmm. And he was unbelievably talented. I'm yeah, such a un- huge fan. Unbelievably talented, and uh, like Bop Magazine ready. Oh, he, he was hunky. just an unbelievably attractive man. Hunky. Uh, he was like Chris Hemsworth before we had Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, you, you, you look up John Eric Hexum, and like the first thing you're going to find is like a, like a shirtless poster of him, like yeah. just sort of posing, all greased up. Uh, so he he was yeah he was like a teen idol waiting to happen. Yeah, he was he was going to be like at least I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is at least Dennis Quaid, you know, at least mm. that kind of like just handsome, charismatic guy who's going to have at least a couple of great decades. And I'm yeah. yeah, that that that's one where I didn't know about him. He died when I was like, what, maybe like two years old or something. And mm. only in retrospect, doing the research, do I find out like just how amazing this guy was and how sad it was that he died yeah, so young. Yeah. And, yeah, that one really hurt me mm. a lot. And in, in, in 30 years later, 30 yeah. years later, that yeah. hurt me, you know, like that sucks. Um I want to thank you though for uh, uh, for the email, and um, I'm glad that we were able to uh, excite you about uh, uh, seeing Little Women. And I hopefully, it really pisses me off when people think about like art as so specifically gendered. Like there's not, there are movies not, not that are movies uh, for yeah. chicks, and there are movies for bros, and 
I mean, there are definitely movies There's, that yeah. have an audience in mind, but say you can totally a... appreciate anything. When uh, I, I don't use the term chick flick anymore, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 too it's too handy uh, too not, it's, not too it's, handy. It's, it's too, reductive. Too easy. It's, um, it's reductive. It's yeah, arguably it's, insulting. No, um, and yeah, it's... I, I still use phrases like "dad film," and yeah. I think uh, when I use phrases like that, it's it's meant to you know denote certain descriptors, not to say that only dads will enjoy that. They're, they're typically um, movies yeah. that are about dads or older men, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. or or about um, they cover a specific set of topics that. Mm. Um, people of a certain experience know that their dad is into you know, world like war two world war two movies car movies those yeah. those are the, the kinds of films i describe as dad movies are all yeah. dads into that stuff no definitely no, not it's a cliche, uh, but, yeah. it, but it's just a cliche and i think it's it's shorthand that's the word i was looking for it's shorthand yeah um i'm i don't i try to steer myself this is a, a sort of a separate topic but I've, I've been trying to steer myself away from this notion that films should be viewed as being for a certain audience. Yeah. I think films, and I've, I've been saying this for years, films are for whoever can buy a ticket to them. Yeah. Uh, you know, really super violent films aren't for kids because kids can't buy a ticket to that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there are definitely but, uh, films that are about like ideas that are so complicated that maybe younger people haven't yeah, experienced yeah, them yet. Them. Uh, and, and maybe those movies aren't necessarily going to hit as hard, but I watched a lot of those movies yeah. or read a lot of books that were about more mature concerns that I'm still figuring out now. Yeah. I still appreciated them. I just didn't get them on the, yeah. it wasn't but, on the uh, wavelength necessarily. But yeah. I, I would like to think that audiences are, are going to be open-minded enough to accept whatever perspective the film is giving them. Yeah. And if this is a movie about women and women's interests and you're not a woman, you would at least, I would hope understand that, you're getting a, you're opening yourself up to that perspective. Yeah. So this is a movie for women. Women can understand this and a man seeing this movie should be able to understand that. Yeah, I've, I've never <clears throat> understood this whole thing where like, oh, you know, hmm. someone was was online and they were talking about how like Julia Roberts has only made a couple of good movies. And I'm like, first off, fuck well, you. A couple like 30? Yeah, yeah she like, made it good. If we're, if we're setting the baseline at good, at least like three dozen. Yeah. All right. If we're going, setting the bar at great, I'd say at least 15. Like she's made she's some a, amazing motion pictures. She's a huge, long, hugely long career. She's I very know. prolific. And I was thinking about like, you know, how like my, and I'm, I was looking at people being derogatory about stuff like Steel Magnolias. And I'm like, Steel Magnolias is fucking awesome. Mm. I was watching Steel Magnolias. I saw it when it came out. We saw it in theaters. Mm. I was a little kid. It's about adult issues and motherhood and dying of diabetes and, uh, uh, you know, marital relationships. And I'm thinking about how that movie is so smartly written and the characters are so richly uh, 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 drawn that as a little kid, yeah. I got it. I mean, I didn't appreciate all the depth necessarily, but I was able to follow along. I cried at all the mm. moments that are you supposed to make you cry. You don't have to disregard something just because there's this weird societal expectation that you're not supposed to be interested in it. And I think that once we start putting that aside and just try to experience everything on its own terms mm. and have taste that look, we're allowed to have taste. We're allowed yeah. to like say like other oh, genre doesn't generally do it for me, but you should be open to it all. And that's the thing that excites me the most. And I think once you, some people, some people ask me like, what's your like favorite, like genre or what's a genre you don't like. And I'm mm. like, as a film critic, I don't really get to do that. 
Mm-hmm. There's stuff I gravitate towards generally, but like I'll watch a horror movie perhaps more readily than anything else if I have free time. But I have to find something to like in all of them, don't I? Mm-hmm. I have to understand what makes all these different genres work. I have to understand what makes all these different types of movies work. Yeah, You have to open yourself up to that possibility. And I really want to encourage everyone else to do that because if you're not open to the idea that a movie that's in a genre you were sort of told wasn't for you or um, was for a different group of people and you're mm-hmm. not supposed to be watching that, which I know too many people get that general sense, um, you're missing out. That's yeah, it. You're just yeah. missing out on amazing art. That and I, yeah, that like, sucks. I want you to have that art. If if uh, and if toxic masculinity is uh, scaring you off of Little Women, you're lost. <laughs> Little Women is great. Little and, Women uh, is a wonderful motion picture. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, and, <laughs> they're uh, all good. <laughs> they're all good. I, I never saw like the Leah Thompson modern day one. So that's like I think oh, Carflakes yeah. did it. I didn't hear good things, but I'm talking about the major releases of Little Women. They're all good. They're all good films. <laughs> so, and and I'm embarrassed. Someday I'll read it. I haven't read Little Women. I think you'll like it. it and it's, it's and a good it's, read. It's, it's a just, read. It's just one that has escaped me. I haven't yeah. been avoiding it. But yeah, yeah, it's fun. Just, There's a lot of books out there. I get yeah. it. It's not like you've been avoiding mm. literature about women or anything like that. Oh, I've gotten around to that. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all yeah. catching up, aren't we? Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on. Uh, next letter comes from Cecil. Hello, hi, Cecil. Cecil. Um, hi, Bibbs and Rockmeister. You are wrong. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. Goodbye, everybody. We're canceling all the podcasts. We're wrong. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I found an error on the internet. Um, <laughs> Hi, Biz and Rockmeister. You are wrong about the plot holes in The Lord of the Rings. Ah. Uh, specifically, the Eagles and Tom Bombadil. Okay. That's the, okay, so real fast. We were talking about Lord of the Rings, and we are talking about how there's... A, rather, rather idly about Lord of the I, Rings. I can't remember yeah. exactly what podcast we are talking about, it, but basically we're talking about how, if you really look at it, there's a few inconsistencies, and like theoretically, the just eagles like, could have fly, just dropped fly, the, fly ring, the into ring and yeah, dive into the volcano. Theoretically, and, that, yeah. that's that's the joke that's been told over and over again. But technically, theoretically, it happened. And mm. then Tom Bombadil apparently was cut from the Lord of the Rings movies because he was so resistant to the ring that it kind of like undercut its power. But yeah. maybe we're wrong about all of that. That's what we said before, anyway. Let's hear what Cecil has to say. The eagles couldn't carry the ring. Because there is a giant evil eye that would see them and instantly kill them on top of being too proud to work for the hobbits. I, okay. I, I don't Oh, the eagles like have character, like they're proud. No, they're, are, but they're, are they they're, intelligent? Yeah, they are actually. Oh, okay. um, and they got their own thing. And that's that they're actually one of the armies that uh, is in the Battle of the Five Armies. They have, they, yeah. have, they have their own agency and everything. And they've got their own lives and whatever. And mm. I would say, I would say, does, does he go on about the eagles? Uh or did you move um, on to the next there, there's, there's a little bit more here. But, um, I'll, I'll wait till we yeah, talk okay. about the Eagles to bring up my okay, but, but okay. uh, Also, Tom Bombadil couldn't do it because uh, he is nature mm. and so and is above all of this petty ring crap that he would forget about it. <laughs> uh, Tom, Tom Bombadil wasn't in the movie, but the eye would still have seen the Eagles flying. That's why, uh, that's why and the fact that the Eagles keep getting brought up by uh, half-assed, smart-ass people who think CinemaSins is actual criticism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that when you do it, you can't uh, you can't sink to that level. Never go full cinema sins. Okay, I didn't mean to go cinema sins, but uh, is it more to learn? I don't want to. I don't that, want and that's that. the okay. end. Yeah, All right, I didn't mean to go cinema sins. If you're not familiar with cinema sins, they're they're a podcast or a, a YouTube series where they go through every single nitpicky flaw in a movie, and every once in a while there'll be a legit hmm. critique or gripe or anachronism or something. But oftentimes, what we're really doing is just nitpicking something to death and. Hmm. It, there's some there's an inherent smugness to it that's well, really off-putting nit, nitpicking it from my perspective used to be like just sort of a fun thing to do yeah with things you've seen a lot uh yeah. you know films weren't meant to be viewed a hundred times on home video they, yeah. uh, at least not 
when home video was new. Yeah. Look, look at all like the and, little uh, gags we have about Star Wars, where mm-hmm. if we'd only, only seen Star Wars once, we could never do a joke. Like all like the yeah. robot chicken Star Wars episodes that they did. Ninety percent of those would fall flat because none of us remember those stupid details from a movie. But we all know the little details, and we think that we're overthinking yeah, it. We've watched the movie a lot, and yeah. uh, you had an excellent point once where um, the conversation in the movie Clerks, yeah, uh, about how uh, you know they're thinking about like the the private contractors they would have to hire to build the Death Star. Yeah, that's a comedy scene because they're overthinking that scene. Mm. Uh, and you pointed out that's a career now. Yeah. Writing these long articles about these tiny little plot details that are actually really meaningless to the experience of watching the movie Mm -hmm. uh, are now kind of 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 paramount importance. And I I always felt when I I haven't seen a lot of CinemaSins, but I've seen some. Yeah. And I thought they were just sort of goofing. Yeah. I didn't think it was meant to stand in for real criticism or that they were even pointing out things that were really important about the plot. Yeah. And I They, and I, they were sort of like fun in on the the practice of overthinking the, stuff. the problem with cinema sins and, and we've talked about it a long time ago but mm-hmm. like the problem with cinema sins i don't think is so much exactly what they're doing the problem is that their runaway popularity yeah, has the changed the conversation so that they now have an outsized influence based on the ultimately very silly thing that they do mm-hmm. And I think it's a little irresponsible to keep doing it the same way when ultimately what they're doing is suggesting in the conversation of a very deadpan straight face that these this is actual... These are actual problems. These are actual the, problems. These, these the, bring down the quality the, of the movie. The gag you know? is that treating these like actual problems is ridiculous. Mm. But you're still doing that gag and mm. people... And you're not... I don't think they're always winking enough. People understand that it's satire if indeed it is Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know them well enough to make that distinction i know they've claimed it is but i've also known that some people don't take it that way and if your people are taking the wrong thing from your message Mm -hmm. and you're not correcting them that's a problem yeah yeah so unfortunately there's a lot of people who look at the cinema sins way of doing things and they think that's film criticism Mm -hmm. and it's it's a bit it's not criticism yeah it's comedy sometimes criticism we talk about these things my philosophy often is Especially if you're watching it for the first time, if you're distracted by that kind of a thing, the thing itself may be a little problem, but it's indicative of a bigger problem, which is that I'm not immersed enough to Mm. overlook it. Yeah. And that's the real issue here. Yeah. If the the film is is grabbing you in some sort of way, it could have all kinds of problems that you're totally willing to overlook. Which is why it's when there are films that do grab us, but we watch them over and over and over again. And after a while, those details come out anyway. Even mm. though we still have a lot of affection for it, which is why we can goof on Star Wars and still like Star Wars. We can goof on Lord of the Rings and still like Lord of the Rings. Um, to your points about Lord of the Rings, Tom Bombadil, yeah, fair enough. Um, but it, regardless, you leave him out of the movie because you don't want to have that conversation and it's distracting and it just, you just want to keep the propulsion going. Um, as for the Eagles, I don't know if the movie... I mean, again, I'm looking at the movie rules and the way they have the Eye of Sauron at that big tower. I don't know if it has, like, a laser on that. I think it's just a spotlight. <laughs> like, it, so it, like would see, it would see the eagles coming. But right. they're flying over, you know, these... They don't have missiles yet in this universe. I mean, I guess they could have catapults and shit. It might be mm. dangerous for the eagles, but theoretically... Just fly higher. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Theoretically, this could easily be done with, with a moderate mm. amount of risk, but it could be done. And one could look at it less as we're doing it to, for the hobbits, then we're doing it for the eagles. Because mm. the eagles aren't going to necessarily, like, it's not going to be like Sauron's going to be like, well, I've conquered the whole world, subjugated all under my control. Not going to bother the eagles, of course. Those guys are cool. Right on, eagles. Oh, wing, eagles are like, yeah, wing bump. Wing bump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the eagles are going to get shit, too. So, 
it's listen. There's there's when you when you come up with like a, a minor issue like this in a movie, mm-hmm. if you can come up with in your head a little head cannon to explain it, then we're fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, why wouldn't the Eagles do that? Ah, they're too proud. Fine. Well, yeah. Whatever. Who cares? Like it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. As long as there's an okay explanation for it and you can write it off. And then it stops being distracting and then who cares? Yeah. But ultimately, still who cares? I love the Lord of the Rings movies. The original trilogy in particular, they're really, really mm-hmm. good. And just every once in a while you start thinking about it, it's like, you know, the Eagles aren't really pulling their fucking weight, are they? <laughs> the Gandalf, mm-hmm. you know, from a tower, but you know, like won't actually like save the world. Like yeah, get on I'm, your shit, Eagles. And I'm not a fan of those movies, but it's not because of like plot points like yeah. that. It's you know bi- bigger problems about sort of the project in general. It's you know, the kind of an ambitious thing more than like a moving or exciting thing. And then they get like really yeah. preoccupied with war and stuff. And there's just too, there's too much war. of it. It's too much of it. It's too much war in general. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, here's a letter from Max. Hi, Max. Hi, Max. Um, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I am here to talk about a phrase you have already talked about quite often, hmm. but some Twitter happenings this past weekend have me thinking about it more. The phrase is let people enjoy things. Oh, yeah. Uh, I agree with this phrase is used in all the wrong ways to deflect any negative reviews, and the big franchise movie is not the little guy in the scenario. For example, I really did love Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, despite many critics and fans not caring for it. But every negative review or comment was interesting to me, and I was not going to take offense to them. Okay. That being said, I have noticed something in the early reaction to F9, outwardly Ah. mocking of the fans of the film in a way I haven't seen before. I enjoy the Fast and Furious movies a lot. Uh, They are the movies my dad and I have always had the tradition of seeing on opening night, and we watch them together whenever we have a lazy movie day. Sounds fun. I have no delusions about what they are as films. Mm. Uh, they are consistently fun, and I enjoy the characters, and I have, uh, and they have one of the most diverse core casts in American film. Yeah, I didn't love F nine, but it got a casual passing grade for me as a fan, and I expected, I expected negative reviews. I didn't expect one critic on Twitter with a prominent following to repost many positive reviews of the movie with laughing emojis, making fun of people for giving it a positive score. I saw another prominent movie pundit say that the box office success of Fast and Furious is a sign that movie theaters are saved and movies are dead. And another, uh, another you can, you can be said, able to hear my eyes rolling right yeah. now. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, we're critics. Those muscles are very strong. <laughs> uh, and another who said that you couldn't be a true movie critic if you liked F9. Oh, that, uh, that's not cool. Come on. That's I, some I don't, I don't know who said that. Um, I on. saw fans of the movies taking a lot of hits and, uh, instead of fans of the movies taking hits instead of the movie itself. Yes, Fast and Furious likely has some toxic fans, but it's nothing compared to Star Wars or DC or Marvel movies from what I have seen. Uh, so far, I am saying to these people, let people enjoy things. Uh, <laughs> sorry for such a long letter and a rant. This is a little more of a to end this on a positive note, do either of you have movies you love because of any correlation with family members? Oh. Uh, thanks for all the amazing art you two provide, Max. Um, uh, a couple of things. So there's, there's two distinct questions there, and we'll get to the family members in one second. Regarding let people enjoy things, um, they came from a comic strip, and it was someone sitting on a couch with somebody who was trying to enjoy something, and someone was actively mocking their enjoyment. It, it was a sporting event. It was a sporting event. Yeah. They were making fun of sports, and there was someone who said, hey, let people enjoy things. Stop being a dick. Yeah, well, and the, it, it was that they leaned over, and they, like, pinched their lips shut. Yeah. And they said, shh, because I think that the shh is the important part of that. Yeah, it's basically let, sh- let people enjoy Let people things. enjoy things, because that's uh, one where someone is actively yeah. attempting to enjoy something in the moment, and you're just trying to suck the joy out of the room. The problem is that panel, the pinching and the sh- people enjoy things without context, became used to shut down opposition to popular things. Yeah. And what it basically came down to is you couldn't punch upwards 
Yeah. Punching downwards is usually in almost always, pretty much always shitty. Punching yeah. upwards at maybe the most popular thing and just saying, hey, you know, there's some problems with that. And that panel became used to silence mm. people from basically contributing to the conversation if they don't like the thing. Yeah. That's uh, not to say people can't be dicks about it. Sometimes people are dicks about everything. But that was the real problem with that comic. To, uh, to, to give credit where credit's due, uh, yeah. the, the artist is named Adam Ellis. Yes. And the strip comes from Books of Adam. Yeah, uh, and it, he actually ended up uh, doing like another comic strip that just sort of where he addressed deals, that. Yeah, where, yeah. How, how it was being misused a lot in a lot of ways. And, yeah, and to their credit, and um, and, and ultimately, in it also in fact, would, there was a really kind of dark uh, strip where another character was talking to the strip and like, like the strip was like an anthropomorphized had like little arms and legs mm-hmm. and they're like out in the snow and he's got like a tear in his eyes and a shotgun is like it's time to take you out <laughs> i'm so it's like no no man like I, I, this is this isn't what i meant no it's time it's like <laughs> the um uh uh the other thing that 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 presupposes which kind of pisses me off is the idea that you can't enjoy criticism mm-hmm. it's never shh, let people enjoy criticism let yeah. people enjoy speaking critically about something and discussing the pros and cons of something and having a forum in which they can actually articulate uh, uh, what something that even if they like it, something that it doesn't do right. Mm. Um, people basically want to shout down dissent. Mm. And that sucks. That really sucks. However, that works both ways. And you can totally be this weird kind of like, I don't like something, ergo, people who like it, are idiots or wrong and i'm sure i've probably said some hyperbolic bullshit along those lines and, oh definitely and yeah. especially when i was younger and you know i'm embarrassed about that and that wasn't helping anything i was just young and not really thinking about like what kind of environment that creates yeah. for discourse that's not fun and that doesn't help anybody to yeah. say that like if you like this you're not a true fan or if you don't like this you're not a true fan that's some bullshit right there. The, the, the farthest I'll go is like, um, there are many movies I hate. Mm-hmm. Some I hate with a fiery passion sure. that a lot of people like. Uh, I hate Space Jam. Yeah, I think I think Space Jam is one of the worst things. I, I don't disagree with uh, you. And, uh, and a lot of people really, really like it. And I don't disparage them for liking it. No. But I'm not going to say it's good because they like it. No, no, no. You don't have to change your opinion. Exactly no. my point. Exactly my point. Yeah. You should be able to speak critically about something everyone else enjoys. Mm. Um, and, and you shouldn't, and honestly, no one should be a dick about it. If you're friends and mm. you can like speak jestingly with somebody directly and that environment is very secure and you know it, maybe then, but in a public forum like Twitter, if you, even if you are trying to be funny, it usually just comes across like being a dick and it mm. makes people feel bad about liking things. Some people are confident enough in their opinions that mm. it doesn't affect them, but not everyone's like that, especially when mm. you're younger and you're just getting into the yeah. film industry. And maybe there are people with critics who you like or think are respectable. And when they speak like that, all of a sudden you think to yourself, well, Shit, I liked this. I guess I'd better stop. Mm. Who the fuck does that help? It's bullshit. So don't do that. It's mm. not helpful. Uh, and it's not helping anybody. It, yeah. You well, can it's... be critical, but don't mm. try to paint everybody with this weird essentialist brush. What's where like, if they like the, something, uh, they're bad or think, inferior. That's bullshit. Well, I mean, it, it and it's it all stems from a bigger problem. Uh, it, it's not necessarily a problem of certain critics trying to uh, bully, disparage, or make people feel bad about the things they like. I think that's actually not as widespread a phenomenon as necessarily uh, actually happens in the real world. But 
when, I've, seen when it done in a, I've seen it done in person, and I've definitely mm. seen a few people with influence mm. be articulate in that way, usually jestingly, but it's still a yeah. shitty thing to say. I, I think uh, it, it, it bears repeating that Twitter is not the real world. Yeah. And when you are on Twitter a lot and you, you know, are searching hashtags a lot, you get to see concentrated opinions. You get yeah. to see a concentrated uh, small group of uh, people in a really powerful dose. Yeah. And uh, that is not necessarily emblematic of a wider fandom at large. It's just yeah. the people who are loudest. Uh, yeah. So getting a general consensus on something is pretty difficult these days. And yeah. you can say, well, you know, consensus opinion seems to be blank. From right. my experience on social media. But remember, your social media is being altered because of AI. Well, because of so, you. Yeah, because of because what you're, what, what you're, you yeah, what, yeah. What you're following. And outrage is a good way to keep that AI going. So yeah. if you're really outraged about something, you're going to encounter it well, more. It's just like you have and, a group uh, of friends. You're all interested in the same stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's a decent chance your opinions about art will coalesce on some level. Yeah. It'll be kind of similar. And you'll think that everyone you know likes blank. And then something will happen. You go off to college. You go mm. travel somewhere, or you'll start dating, and you run into a new circle of friends, or something. And all of a sudden, you find out that not everyone shares that opinion. Yeah, yeah. that's and just you. You got kind of caught in a microcosm, and Twitter is a large microcosm, but mm. it's still a microcosm. It's still a microcosm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's larger than maybe the number of people I would have lunch I, with. But I think it's uh, still a small number of people. All things considered, yeah, there's a billion people on Twitter. But I think uh, you know what you see is going to be an microscopic sampling of what's actually yeah. on of the people who are using the, the platform. Uh -huh. uh, as for critics who say really brazen things like you can't like this film and be a fan of cinema. Well, I'd like to read the whole review. Clearly they didn't like it. And that's a very brazen thing to say. It's an eye catching thing to say. And some yeah. critics like to play fast and loose with those kinds of phrases. I like to think that maybe it was being wielded a little bit more tactfully than just that quote taken out of context would be. Mm hmm. That's pr that particular one seems pretty brazen and kind of confrontational. Again, I don't know who said yeah, that. I, I, I don't know if that's paraphrased or whatever, but if that's exactly if, if I know described, that, yeah. that's shitty. If, and it's another yeah. reason why Twitter Twitter is difficult because it's hard to have nuance on Twitter. Yeah. So yeah. you can have like a long, complicated thing where you can say to yourself, I actually think this is uh, a really negative uh, thing and its popularity has a ripple effect, which is problematic for the industry at large or for the way stories are told. And we can have that conversation, mm. but to simply say something that brazen in a very short tweet, it, it becomes like an ultimatum. Yeah. And so it's dangerous to wield that. And so you gotta be, you gotta be careful. And again, I, you're absolutely right. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. I don't have the exact context in front of me. It doesn't sound like something I'd agreed with, but maybe there's other factors that would be worthy of consideration, and there you go. But my point is this, whether that's exactly the way it was or not, that's not how you want to come across. Yeah. It's not helpful. Um, on the second topic, uh, which is movies that we love because of our association with uh, our family. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think we a lot of people have that. I mean... Um, there's a movie I don't particularly like, but I saw it with my dad. And even though it's sappy and kind mm -hmm. of, it's kind of, it's a, it's a stupid movie. I looked over at my dad and my dad was not a crier. No, I wouldn't call him like emotionally disconnected or anything like that, but he just wasn't, he wouldn't cry mm. a lot. I only caught him crying in movies a couple of times and in real life, not much mm. more than that. Uh, not, not in real life, but you know what I mean? Like in other situations, he was very stoic a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, so when I'm watching the movie fucking Armageddon, 
<laughs> and I oh turn over God. and my dad is and it got my dad like he got him it got mm. under his skin and it made him cry a little bit and it's a stupid movie about stupid meteors and stupid oil derrick guys and like guns that they bring into space to help drill into a meteor you haven't asked us to save the world anybody want to say no yeah like it's it's not a good movie it's a very openly stupid movie mm. i can appreciate enjoying it certainly my dad did and that's why even when I watch Armageddon again, I've had to watch it a few times every once in a while just for like, you know, anniversary articles mm. or something, writing something about Michael Bay. I've, re- I've revisited it. I can't hate it because <laughs> my dad kind of dug uh, it and I love my dad very much yeah. and I miss him and it got under his skin and I kind of just see it through his eyes a little bit. I've never seen Armageddon. I know. You would yeah. hate it, I think. I, I think I would. That's why I haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I don't, don't want to see Rock, it. which is actually pretty muted for Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I can't imagine in, in fact, you would the, be a super big fan of Armageddon. The Rock was the one that just sort of made me close the book on the genre altogether. It's like, I've had yeah. enough. I don't need any more chases or guns. And, the, yeah. and it was The Rock. And everybody says, no, that's the good one. That's well, it. yeah, then I don't want to see the bad ones, do yeah, I? Right. Michael Bay is not making movies specifically for you. That's no, he, he, sure. he's making yeah. the opposite of what I want to see. Yeah, anyway. Uh, is there any films that I like? You know what? I've I've had a few like interesting bonding experiences with family members mm. over certain movies. My uh, again to to cite our, our fathers. My dad uh, was you know he when I refer to dad movies, that does apply to my own dad. Sure, uh, he like he likes uh, the the man with no name trilogy. He likes shoot 'em ups. He calls them shoot 'em ups. Uh, and we, we actually had this, this wonder when I was, you know, became a professional film critic. He's like, okay, well, I haven't seen a lot of action movies since, you know, duck, you sucker. So uh, show me, uh, show me something good, something new. So uh, like we, we had a good bonding experience watching newer movie, newer to him movies like speed or under siege, you know, these movies uh, yeah, or yeah. a hard target films from the nineties that he yeah. hadn't caught up on that. Pretty I thought macho he might enjoy. Flex, yeah. And, and uh, he, he liked under siege. Uh, but uh, his complaint was there's a knife fight at the end with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Steven Seagal. And uh, Steven Seagal is holding the knife in such a way as if he's going to stab down like a slasher villain. Yeah. And that's the way he holds it throughout the fight. Like he's going to lunge forward and stab him. And he says, that's not how you hold a knife in a fight. You hold it underhand so you can lunge forward. You have more range that way. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of a knife fight is you have more range and you can cut him. And like that—that's that was his entire uh, experience with I, uh, Siege. Was he was holding the knife wrong in the final knife fight? Two things with that: not a family member, but someone I went to college mm-hmm. with. Uh, uh, <laughs> he was a huge Steven Seagal movie fan. I don't know how I felt mm-hmm. about the guy because the guy's an asshole, but like he loves Steven Seagal movies because they're big and stupid, and very funnily written. And uh, there was a theater at our film school, like on the first floor, and they would held like revival screenings there, and there was sometimes classes in there, and. For whatever reason, I still don't know what class it was. Mm. They were showing Under Siege. So we're in like the editing bay, like working on like our final projects or like that. And all of a sudden, my friend Brett comes in. It's like, they're showing Under Siege in the theater. I'm like, oh, shit. And we all like lock up our shit. And we <laughs> run downstairs. And we're, it's like halfway through the movie. But we all just mm. sit down in the back. And I remember that scene where, where Steven Seagal and Tom Billy Jones fight mm. with knives. And this is when my friend Brett turns to me and says, this is the part where they fight with knives. <laughs> <laughs> like that was his favorite part is where they fight with knives. This is a guy who could describe the plot of the movie Glimmer Man, and you would want to give him a like a, a fucking like Pulitzer. Like, <laughs> just, he's just, just like what an incredible narrative is, is the Glimmer Man. The Glimmer Man. Um, uh, I, I also bonded with uh, my mom. Yeah. Uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was three, so I had two very separate parenting experiences with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, 
we never saw movies all together. Um, but I went to go with my mom to see The Passion of the Christ, oh, wow. which opened on Good Friday, if you recall. I do and, recall, um, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a church goer, but we're not. Uh, we're, we're more about the resurrection in our church than yeah, than, than the, the violence. The, actually, uh, the, yeah. the violence and the beating. That's more of a Catholic thing. Yeah, it's like the the passion and how much he suffered was like a big part of Catholic faith. Yeah, uh, not so much in the church we go to. And so we're we're watching this thing, and we are being complete assholes in the theater, my mom and I. And my mom is is of course the the worse of it, and yeah. uh, like we're kind of like snickering, and like they, they're hoisting him up, and he's bleeding. It's like, oh, we just watched him get the ever loving tar beaten out of him for two hours. And my mom starts singing, "Always Look on the Bright Side of Life," uh, <laughs> in the theater, not a full voice or anything, but she's like yeah. enough that I could hear it, and we couldn't make it. Like we just lost it. It's yeah. like Mel Gibson, you lost us. And, and, you know, when the camera wells up and we see God's tear falling from the sky, it's like, oh, okay, we we couldn't stand it anymore. We were yeah. just snickering and laughing throughout the rest of that movie. And as such, watching The Passion of the Christ with my mom was one of the funniest, most enjoyable experiences <laughs> I've had in a movie theater, just because we were having such a great time laughing at this ultra-violent movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, somebody recut it with like Benny Hill music and oh they God. sped it up. That's, it's like, that's a bit. <laughs> adding right, like the cartoon right. sound effects. Bonk, bonk, bonk. It's it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a subtle film. No, no, no not at all. Not a, not a particular and then they, subtle motion picture. And it's it's rated R, and then they recut it. It was still rated R. Why did they recut it? It was just sli- it less slightly R? less violent. Roger, still are. Roger Ebert made an excellent point. He said if it was anybody other than Jesus on that cross, that would be an NC-17 rating. Yeah, it's a fucked up film. Yeah. I know. Um, all right. Hopefully that answers your question a little bit. But uh, thank yeah. you for writing in. Thank you for writing uh, in. I think I've got time for one more. Okay. Uh, here's a letter from just the letter T. Hello, Ooh. T. Uh, hi, fellas. Uh, I've been meaning to write this one for a while as we're getting tantalizingly close to the finish line. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing in the pandemic. I've been wanting to reach out to all the podcasts that have helped me get through the last year and uh, just personally express my thanks for uh, keeping me sane. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. Glad we could help. Uh, I'm a psychiatrist. Oh. Uh, so never stayed home, although my primary work has been dealing with the ways in which people have dealt with the stress and isolation and all too frequently substance abuse. In April of 2020, when things were dire in New York, they threw every single body they could at the waves of patients, getting the list of film recommendations uh, gave me something to escape into. Hmm. I really enjoyed getting to uh, learn about you guys and now anticipate that if Whitney has a reaction to something, I'll have the opposite one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I was able to remain a patron. Strongly encourage anyone who is able and who isn't already to sign up and happily report that my mom loved her salt cat soap. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, and all the time you discover new things... and all the time you've just dis- had to discover new things, film or not, during this long, long year, is there one thing you feel that everyone should experience? Uh, for me, it was Ohazard Balthazar, oh. uh, something I've heard Dave White plug many times. It's, uh, Dave White has said it's his favorite movie. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, once Whitney recommended it, I decided that I shouldn't wait. Uh, yeah, see Ohazard Balthazar. I haven't Robert seen it. is wonderful. I haven't seen that one. Uh, in any case, you both have my profound f- thanks for everything you did and continue to do gratefully. T. P.S. I wish I could convince Whitney to watch The Living End. I think it would be either the first thing we could agree on or would finally make us mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Gregoraki's The Mortal, uh, The Living, excuse me, The Living End. No, um, am I. Uh, I'm, I run hot and cold on Gregoraki. I really admire what he does, but I kind of hate some of his movies. Yeah, he's not, I, he's not uh, trying to be liked, is he? No, mm-hmm. and uh, I really, really love his film Mysterious Skin. I think that's his best, most mature movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
Um, but then he came out with Kaboom after that, and Kaboom <laughs> sucks. Uh, I, I like the cast, you know. It's yeah. and he he has a, a knack for like creating these really kind of young, funny, sexy characters. But yeah, his movies aren't always great. Um, uh, as as for uh, as for having the opposite opinion, good. Yeah, no, that's I, great. I, I, and if, it's not if, you, here. if you if you know know where I'm coming from and you know what I'm going to say, uh, adjust accordingly. And I don't expect you to agree with me. I've had a lot of people try to insult me by mm. saying, "I know if if Bibbs mm. likes a movie, I know I'm going to hate it," and vice versa. Mm. And I'm like, then I'm doing a great job. Yeah, like you, it's not my job to be agreed with or to agree with you. Mm. It's my job to clearly articulate things, to have my opinions and my stances on things be clear. Hmm. And if that helps you, if that if that means if I like something, you're likely to like it, awesome. If it means you're likely to dislike it, also useful, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that it, that's good to know? Um, I, 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 I fair want, enough. I want you to listen to me and understand me, yeah. not have my taste. My no. taste is mine. Yeah. That's my taste. It's, I, it's I'm nice drawn, when we agree yeah. on things and we can share these experiences, but yeah, that's yeah. no it's no fun if we all like the same shit. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I understand that my taste is really weird. So if, weird. if I found somebody who did agree with me, I'd think are you, are you are you are you are you in this dimension to replace me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I react to very strange things, so I'm I'm going to say that. And and uh yeah, I don't I don't want you to agree with me. Yeah. Uh, under any circumstances, I want you to understand me, and that's that's yeah. what we're getting at. Here. Uh, I want to uh, regarding your question about what's something you want other people to enjoy, and mm. I'm going to try to think of a couple of movies mm. uh, in a second. But I actually am going to step outside of that box for a minute. And one of the things that really helped me and uh, M. Lopez Silva uh, get through the pandemic was actually finding new. Uh, creative pursuits and mm. I got we've gotten way more into crafting than I ever thought I would um, you know I was like doing crafting in school and stuff but it, it never really persisted as a hobby and now we make soap and it's an actually a fascinating art form and it's really interesting and I like doing it and I know mm. she loves it in particular um, we've started playing around with uh, resin and even candle making a little bit and huh. it's really fun <laughs> and you get to actually like be creative and also produce something with a practical use. It's an art form and it's also just practically building things. Um, I love doing that. And I would encourage anybody to try to find, if you don't already have a hobby that involves, and I know not everybody has the same skill set or uh, the same uh, uh, ability to work with their hands. I myself am very clumsy. I'm not actually mm. uh, very skilled in terms of like fine work. Uh, but even just coming up with fun color schemes and scents and things that in and of itself is very satisfying. Mm -hmm. So I definitely encourage people to like, we're all here cause we love movies. It's kind of like the point of our channel is movies and, uh, uh TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, but always remember that there's stuff outside of that. Yeah. So don't forget to, even if you're focusing your whole life around movies and I know a lot of people that listen to us do because it's a wonderful pastime. Uh, and it's a wonderful pursuit and it's wonderful art and it brings a lot of mm. meaning to my life. Uh, don't forget there's other stuff. Yeah, so every yeah. once in a while, step out of that and try something else. Definitely do that. Whether it's yeah. crafting just, or whatever it is, mm. just make sure you step out of it once in a while. It's yeah. really invigorating for me yeah. right now at this point in my life. Um, this last year, you've kind of heard it. Uh, the things I've experienced. There's not a lot yeah. outside of it. Um, yeah. I, I watch movies and then I come here and I talk about them. Yeah. Uh, during the year, my, my son was in kindergarten. Uh, remote kindergarten is kind of a miserable experience. Um, yeah. 
just 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 generally speaking, you know, I, he, my son is getting some education, but you know, it's just not not ideal in any any way. I imagine there were some kids who took to it, but uh, you know, a lot of kids didn't, and I'm you know, kind of anticipating sort of what the long-term psychological effects are of all of this are going to be I, on my, I, my poor it's son. Almost hard, it's almost impossible to predict yeah, like, what yeah. this is going to do to the impressionable yeah, so, generations. So, like, yeah, really so far, um, he seems a lot more reluctant to go out. He's yeah. just used to being home now. And uh, I don't think he's, like, afraid. I don't think he's, you know, anxious about going outside. I think it's, he just doesn't want to. It's not anymore. part of the repertoire yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Things I, I'm not sure if there's anything I really discovered, but a lot of the things I would do, uh, I would like listen to a lot of music and uh, lectures in the car. Mm. Uh, I'm very fond of the Great Courses, yeah, uh, which is just a series of lectures by uh, seasoned professors, and they have a, a field of expertise. I like to listen to the ones on philosophy and literature, but the Great Courses has all kinds of topics, and you know, technology and history and all the rest. They've had to rebrand recently. Uh, there's a lot of like self-help mm. stuff, you know, how, how to get through your day, how to deal yeah. with stress. Uh, some of them are like how to learn how to play guitar. Some of them are a lot more instructional than they used to be. Yeah. And they had to change their name to Wondrium, which I Ooh, hate. That's not fun. That's... Just call it the Great Courses. It's fine. It's, it's a little, yeah. little bit more, you know, intellectual. Put, it's, it's, it to, is what it is. It's what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's Great Courses. It's yeah. lectures. If you are into learning and lectures this is what you got and i haven't had a lot of time to read and and read great literature in this time which was you know for a long time a great hobby of mine and it's just sort of fallen off in recent years that was my outlet for a long time is to listen to these lectures for the great Mm -hmm. courses uh they fill my mind and they you know make me feel like i'm actually learning something and that's nice yeah i i made what one could call a mistake it certainly was a choice um I turned my hobby into my career. Yeah. And they say that if you do that, you'll never work a day in your life. Lies. No, no. Lies. Lies. No, However. Now no, no, your fun is just work. I think it's a little reductive, too. I, I What I will say is this. Um, there's a downside to it. Mm-hmm. I do love what I do. And the, the idea of doing other things uh, can be very unpleasurable to me. No. Uh, because, yeah, being able to make a living, even a meager living... Uh, even in the living where I'm barely making ends meet and I'm wondering seriously if I should be doing this, uh, sounds better to me than almost any other alternative. Because mm. uh, I like what I do. Yeah. Uh, however, it also can become uh, an element of stress. And turning your hobby into a career, ultimately, for better or worse, whether you love your career or not, means that you don't have a hobby anymore. And I think it's what I'm getting at. Okay. Have Have something else to do. <laughs> uh, and that's something that I've struggled with and I haven't always had that so finding that more recently in the last year has been really really helpful to me um, regarding movies and stuff mm. um, this is I, I don't remember the last time we actually talked about this but if you're listening to us for long enough this might be a cliche but I really do mean it the step up movies <laughs> the step up movies are to the dance genre what the Fast and the Furious are to the action genre mm wildly implausible full of wonderful characters 100 percent earnest 100 percent sincere this whole thing where people are like ah oh, it's all about family and you kind of get into that and you start believing it mm. it's like that but instead of having car chases they have insane dancing mm. it's great 
I, so we were talking about how, like, you know, you need to be open to, like, genres you might otherwise have ignored. And I know a lot of people who roll their eyes at the very concept of the dance movie genre. Some people don't even agree that it's a genre. Lies. Well, what would you call them? Movies that are based around dance. Musicals. Okay. Some, people think, some people think it's just all part of musicals. Whatever. It's a subgenre. Fine, whatever. Yeah. My point is this. Hmm. Um, you should be open to it. And hmm. uh, we just stumbled into Step Up 3D one day. And it ended up changing our lives. <laughs> and it brought us I, so much cinematic joy. I brought you with joy. me, too. I was, yeah, I yeah. was going to go. I was like, want to join? You're like, yeah, sure. I'll see yeah. Step Up 3D. Yeah, and we were just totally just... I had seen Step Up 2 and I liked it, but it wasn't until Step Up 3D that I realized just how incredibly elaborate and over-the-top, what a glorious like celebration of cinema it could be, mm. let alone dance. Uh, and and they're also kind of silly and they're kind of thrown together with like duct tape and chicken wire. Uh, but... There's something just truly sincere and earnest about that. And that's what I want people to find. I want people to find sincere, earnest cinema, mm. even if it's not slick, even if it's not in a genre that you like. Because I grew up, uh, uh, in particular, from like my teenage years through like the early 2000s, in a very cynical, ironic age of cinema, where people were rolling their eyes at the very idea of taking something seriously. It's one yeah. of the reasons why... Like the Twilight, the Twilight movies are kind of dumb, hmm. but the thing that I think people reacted to most negatively about them was the fact that they took themselves seriously. Yeah. Well, and I would say sexism was a big part. Well, of there's it sexism too, was yeah. part of it too, but I think the fact that they were taken seriously, like if they were like ironic about themselves, I think some people would have given them a pass hmm. on on a lot of things. But I think because they were just earnest movies about teenagers yeah, falling in love with each fe- other, feeling intense love, and yeah. And not doing anything to address the, the admittedly sillier parts of the story. Yeah, yeah. And and they're totally in there, and I'm not going to pretend that they're not. But mm. the thing that made me unable to connect with them for a while was I wasn't ready to appreciate them unironically. I want people to be able to engage with film on a non-superficial level. Mm. I want people to engage with the film on a sincere level. Whatever that means, and different movies mm. do that in a different way. And I think that's something. I think when you can do that, when you're not just looking at them as a show, when you're not like p- putting a wall up that prevents yourself from like emotionally connecting with what's going on, even if it's not like incredibly refined. Mm. If if you can do that, if you can strip away that barricade, you can get so much more out of almost any movie. Yeah, I, and that's what I kind of want people to do. I just I don't know. I got off on a sidetrack. I guess. Well, and and. But to expand on that point, I think, uh, you know, I, I grew up on this era, too. I'm a little older than you, so mm. I was you know, doing it as a teenager when you were doing it as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I also think uh, that that kind of irony, that kind of distance is also a very useful tool. It can uh, be. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's inherently bad. That's, that's something um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 taught us, uh, that, you know, these movies that were fodder, you know, weren't given any kind of critical consideration. And... Let's be honest with ourselves. Most of them are just pretty bad, just badly made, not not worth your time. Otherwise, previously, yeah, 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 previously dismissed. Uh, Many of them. Some, yeah. some, some are good. Yeah. Some, some are good. I actually think you know some of those movies that they they've covered were are enjoyable on their own. Yeah. But what Mystery Science Theater did is saying these movies do have value as mm. entertainment. Yeah. Uh, we may be sort of like poking fun at them and sort of pointing mm. out their failures, but we're enjoying ourselves. And but that's what I mean. There's a sincerity yeah. to that irony, even where yeah. like we're genuinely appreciating these movies well, as what they are, which yeah. is goofy and kind of badly made, and you can actually enjoy that. Yeah, and, and it's and, not about and, being. And you're actually, yeah. but you're actually getting something about the way cinema functions. Yeah. 
uh, while while you're still you know you you are putting yourself in an Olympian position, and I think there's not not anything inherently wrong with that. It's just the way you <coughs> wield it. I think I think there's a difference between poking fun at something mm. and saying to yourself that it's bad and that's mm. why I'm doing it. <coughs> you don't have to do that. Mm. You can say to yourself, this this movie is silly, this movie is even badly made, mm. but you, you don't have to elevate yourself, you don't have to put yourself on a pedestal in order to enjoy that or yeah. even the, or even to have playful fun with it. And I when I talk about wanting to appreciate movies sincerely, I'm not saying that irony is bad mm. inherently. I'm not saying that I, what I'm saying is that if it's your default position, I think you're missing out. Yeah, well, and and this is you know a trap that a lot a lot of younger people fall into. They feel like same here. You feel like you have the world nailed. Yeah, a movie comes out sight unseen. You feel like you know what it is, and you're willing to uh, pass judgment on it immediately. And this goes back to the cinema sins conversation. Um, I I grew up in the age of what you might call the cranky critic. In fact, uh, I was very fond of a website back in the day called Mister Cranky, and the joke was it was a movie review website, but all the reviews were bad. Every film was bad. You know, Hollywood is this horrible machine. It was, uh, and, and it, you know, all of, and it was, but you know, while there was legit criticism going on in there, it was essentially a comedy bit. Like here's, here's what, uh, what it would look like if uh, somebody hated every movie. And that had changed the timbre of the conversation a lot to the point where people were going into movies looking for comedy bits, things to complain about. Mm. And that's where, where CinemaSins kind of came in. I, th- I thought they were sort of, bringing that to a logical extreme. But yeah, as you pointed out, they're not savvy enough about it to make it read as satire. So it feels like the real thing. And yeah, all of a sudden that youthful thing, that, that barrier you're you're talking about starts to go up because they're looking at films as fodder for comedy rather than something to legitimately criticize. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. So um, anyway, I'm I'm off on a tangent here. I'm way off the rails. We both um, are. We both kind of got off the, the, it's it's late at night and I kind of lost. You lost know, I think I think uh, it, it's after one a.m. I think we're both kind of winding down. Okay, um, but uh, thank you everybody for writing in. It's a really interesting crop of letters this week. Um, really thoughtful things on your mind, and we just really appreciate everybody. It, it was very very kind of some of you to say you know nice things about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we and and also very very kind of you to reach out with your criticism in a respectful way that we can actually mm-hmm. have a good conversation about it. That was cool. Um, we just really appreciate all of you and really grateful that you're still here with us. Um, whether you're a patron or not, uh, if you're a patron, extra special thank you, of course, because without you, we can't do this. Mm. Uh, if you want to join up on the Patreon, there's a lot of exclusive shows about Batman, Star Trek, the Oscars. We do commentary tracks, uh, Google Hangouts, or we don't, not Google Hangouts anymore. We do, we do online Hangouts. Mm. Um, so we're just we're especially just incredibly grateful to all of you for joining us on this journey, whether you can afford to contribute or not. And uh, writing in makes us feel a lot less lonely in here, mm-hmm. so that really helps too. Um, so, yeah, we just love you all, and uh, just hope you're getting through your week okay. And thank you for making us a part of it. Yeah, um, you can reach out to us on this show. We've got mail uh, on our email address, and that email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we are also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. Whitney, at, tell them about. Oh, sorry. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Whitney, tell them about our PO box. Yeah, if, if, if you want to send us an actual physical letter, we'd be happy to read that on this show. Um, the PO box is uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network. PO box six four one five six five. That's six four one five six five. Los Angeles, California nine double zero six four. Um. Yeah, and uh, we already said the Twitter and everything, and uh, we, we mentioned Salt Cat Soap. 
Uh, thank you, everybody, who's bought uh, Salt Cat Soap. Um, we make soap. That's one of our uh, uh, things that we do here. Mm-hmm. And we have an Etsy store. So we go to Etsy and look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. You will find designer soaps uh, made by a few by me, some, a lot more by M. Lapis mm-hmm. da Silva, my wife and partner. Uh, they're really incredible. We released a whole bunch of new designs for July. And again, we're having a sale this month. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we hope you enjoy. Thank you for checking them out. And everyone likes soap and it's good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. I'm so tired. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's just, wrap this up. We're yeah. just wrapping this up. Uh, Salt Cat Soap. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, thank you, everybody. Once again, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Sorry, what?